0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Now here's David Tuttle and Astro's master of banter, Blummer.
1: Yeah. Polarizing is good. That's what we do in our bleachers. As we, I mean, if you get this video oh, nice. and you have a chance, Marco just turned it off, dude. So our producer Marco is working <laughs> steadily. And it's just funny on our screen right now. I don't know if he'll be able to show it or if you can go to at BleacherBlums on Instagram or on Twitter or wherever on YouTube. But we have a setup right now where on Riverside, where you can see Tuttle and I in our standard position with our standard background. <laughs> then we have producer Mark Ramos, apparently. Doesn't have his camera on, but there's a section for him. And then we have good old Worker. <laughs> the, the, the name Worker is on there. So we appreciate our producer, Mark Ramos, over there at Ram Shirts, cranking tees and hats and various other paraphernalia out there. So make sure you go check him out. Uh, you know, Crush City Tees, Ram Shirts, at Bleacher Blums on on Instagram and on Twitter to check it out but uh we are we are repping uh, greatly and of course polarizing is what everybody thinks about when you talk about the bleachers and this is the bleacher blums podcast i am a co-host my name is jeff blum across the way on the left coast making this happen is david tuttle and of course it is still spring training time and due to the fact that my wife is the greatest logistics manager i have david tuttle is repping the spring training hat you look good my friend
2: Thank you. Yeah, I just I just had to switch hats. I had to rep some of Mark's Ram Shirts product as well. But uh, And we got some new swag. I'm just too cold to wear the T-shirt you sent me. <laughs> Marco, oh, look your, it, Marco yours tall. is
1: in my closet as we speak. <laughs> oh, it's <there> downstairs. You. <laughs> you have one.
2: Yeah, I got a package from uh, Corey Blum. And I'm like, Corey Blum sending me stuff in the <laughs> mail? Like, I don't think Jeff would be happy about that. But, you know, yeah. then I, I realized it was a baseball hat that I had asked you for. So there you go. And now the left coast has a Houston Astros hat, which, uh, you know, doesn't always fly so well in uh, Dodger country. But well, that's why it's uh, kind I wear of it sneaky. It's just kind of a little H Man. up there, it's kind of hidden. That's right. It's uh sneaky and I wear it with pride. So I appreciate the uh the swag. It's awesome. So polarizing it is, and polarizing um is the word of the day, I think. We were just talking a little yeah, bit off that's... air. And um uh you're I don't know, he's a radio host in Houston, right? Adam Clanton had a take on the fact that Altuve got hurt in the W WC- WBC. But you know, my first thought was, and we talked about this. There's my USA jersey hanging in the back. The the national pride. I think it's funny how we a piggyback off things. So the USA, right? We have all these, you know, fifty states, and everybody. Every state is like its own country in a way. Like we got our own, um, you know, jargon and mentality, and I don't know, pride. I guess for state to state, mm-hmm. but. You know, I played in winter ball. We talked about that with Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rico and the Dominican. And if you ever want to watch, I mean, if we're talking about this WBC, like it's the greatest baseball tournament of all time, um, you know, winter ball in the Dominican and Puerto Rico and Mexico is like this every year. I mean, if you ever mm-hmm. get a chance to watch the the Caribbean series, you tell me like, I mean, this is this is what I feel like the national pride and the national, um, kind of pastime of baseball. I know it's been, you know, America kind of grabbed that tagline, but certainly some of these other countries have a lot more affinity for it. And every year they play the Caribbean series. And I think we got a taste of that and we got to jump into that. And I think that's a good thing. And the other thing is back to the injury and not, not to, again, th- this just kind of started with a tweet I saw by Adam Clanton and he was getting a lot of, uh, um, You know, pushback was, you know, suppose Altuve got hit by a pitch on, you know, a B game or a field over there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you kind of, it ratchets up the intensity. We talked about it before. Spring training is kind of a, a way, especially for the veterans to play a little golf and get kind of, you know, getting you know get closer towards getting ready for the season and this year we got the world baseball classic and some awesome high-level baseball right away and it certainly brought more eyeballs to the television but blummer i mean this podcast is obviously both of us i wanted to know your thoughts about that and what do you think about playing like wouldn't you you got hurt in spring training before i think it's probably better to get hurt in meaningful games and nobody wants to get injured. I mean, Edwin got, Edwin Diaz got hurt celebrating. So, and we saw that with the Angels that year that uh, the Cuban switch hitting catcher, I never remember his name either. He jumped on home plate, blew out his knee, and that kind of ruined the Angels playoff hopes. But, Sometimes that happens, and I don't know if you can ever control that, and you want these guys playing high-level baseball, especially when it comes into the season. And then the last thing I'll say is it's a 162-game season. If he misses 8 to 10 weeks, you know, the Padres would have been happy to have Tatis back last year. Of course, he got popped for steroids, but he was heading into kind of the you know, into the dog days of summer, they were going to get a jolt of adrenaline and energy from one of their better players. And I think that Altuve could certainly do that. I guess the only downside is that they're going to have to hang on for the first two, two and a half months and not get too far behind. If you think Altuve's, I mean, we know he's a catalyst. We know he's probably a Hall yeah. of Fame baseball player. But if you think that's going to hinder you uh, significantly. So no, what say you, Mr. Blum?
1: Dude, there, there is so much to unpack over what happened in this WBC. And it's amazing that the more guys that got hurt, the more that the national pundits were like, this is the greatest series to ever be played in baseball history. And I'm going, what? Why? What?" I'm like, dude, there's been plenty of World Series in the past where we've been like, this is the greatest World Series. And I have more appreciation. And I'll just say this right off the bat. I have more appreciation for the World Series championships than I do a WBC championship because you played 162 games. You played in the Caribbean World Series. I appreciate the hell out of that because maybe you played 50, 60 games to get to that point. And there is going to be that intensity. So I, the WBC is great, but I kind of got turned off the more I heard you know, some of these guys, some of these national pundits just going, the WBC is the greatest thing that was ever invented. We'll remember this for decades. And I'm going all right, dude, I mean, where's the paycheck coming from Rob Manfred himself? I'm like, what are we doing? It just, it took a lot of the shine off it for me when I have a bunch of, you know, hyperbole and bloviations going across there. It was very good. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. The WBC was great. I completely agree. agree. I respect it. I get it. I've never had the chance to put Team USA across my chest like Tuttle did. So I understand and get that. And I'm cheering for Team USA because I'm an American. I get that. (laughs) And I love the fact that Japan won because Japan was the better team. I think the Dominican Republic underperformed a little bit, but Japan was a better team. They had better pitching, they played a better game, and Team USA lost the championship game. So I love all of that. I hate that guys got injured during it, but you're right. They could have gotten injured on a backfield, taking a ground ball off a shit backfield and taken one off the nose and broken their face. Who knows? Um, Do you think that the Dodgers are going to shut down spring training? because Gavin Lux, you know, blew out his ACL, they have to go find a shortstop now. Uh are you going to are you going to shut down the Mets spring training because Brandon Nimmo slid into second base awkwardly and sprained his knee and his ankle is going to be out for a while? You know, these these things suck. And it's really unfortunate that Edwin Diaz got hurt. It's unfortunate that Altuve got hurt. I think that you're kind of missing the point that Daniel Bard has been a yard sale for most of his career and you shouldn't be shocked that he's missing spots by about three feet. But that being said, it's not the end of the world. I still appreciate the WBC. I like that it shines a light globally on the game of baseball. But the reason there were so many eyes and so much intensity on it, because it happened in 10 days. If this, this still doesn't compare to what it's like to run a marathon and finish a marathon. But I do get it. I love that eyes are on baseball. It's unfortunate guys get hurt. And that's kind of where I sit on a lot of this stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. And you took it another another way because the injuries, like you said, that's part of the game. Where they get hurt isn't always the – I don't know. That's not always the crux of what we're talking about. If they get hurt, you're disappointed. But I felt like there was a little, uh, I don't know, association between the high-intensity baseball with injuries and maybe, like you said, in the 10 days in the accelerated um, – kind of timeline there was but i do think you you bring up a really good point Dominican probably underperformed but they had just come out of the Caribbean series so you have some of these teams that were actually playing so in mm-hmm. the Caribbean series right before and there can be some i don't know i think the US and the and uh USA team and Japan were kind of fresh and ready to go and it was kind of yep. exciting for them because guess what they don't have to play in spring training so i think there are a couple a couple little side notes there. Now, I I just want to hit on one point that you touched on because I was writing some notes last night. Which you know how often I write notes for this podcast. I mean, Whew, congrats, bro! One, one every twenty. But gosh, <laughs> Smoltz and Joe Davis talking about the greatest. I, that you kind of just touched on it, but I think if you have to, I'm, I always use the simple analogy. If your wife says you're not telling me I love you know I, that you love me enough and then you start saying, I love you, it rings hollow. I got to tell you, it rings that so your wife's like, eh, you know, I know I told you I don't hear it enough. And now you're what's saying it angle? a little too much. <laughs> yeah, what's the angle? And I Joe Davis, this is the greatest. I mean, Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. This is what we all came to see. And it's like, eh, I'm not. I mean, that was cool, right? That was one little piece it. was of it, very but, cool. But was the it that more cool? the The last, the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, and I did watch more than just last night. I had a bunch of people text me saying, are you watching this? I go, yeah, I've been watching it for like five or six days. (laughs) They're just turning it on, you know, hearing that the championship (laughs) is coming down to the end. But man, the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, how many times? Oh, my God. This is the greatest tournament. These are the best players on the planet. The intensity here. This is the greatest. Baseball is really... uh, I was like, eh. I almost wanted to mute the television, and I and I think that's what you you didn't actually say that you're an MLB employed person, but you know, I mean, that's kind of what you were getting at. That that just it was great baseball, but let's appreciate it for what it was. Let's not let let's not make it more than it than it than it that. Yeah. Won't we s-
1: no, it was and. It, <sighs> It's just it's, it's amazing that people take it to that level, and there was no reason to. You could have just let the game be what it was and appreciate it for what it was instead of saying it's the greatest game that's ever been played because then you're going to start peeling back the onion of the last 150 <laughs> years of Major League Baseball, yeah. and it's going to touch people differently. Obviously, yeah. it was great to watch these superstars play on superstar teams and have superstar moments. I'm not taking anything away from that. But I just don't think it's fair to sit there in the moment in a packed stadium and say, this is the greatest game ever. Because I think there's something to be said for teams that don't have 100 superstars on their team. And they go out and they overperform. They overachieve because they're playing as a unit. They're playing as a team. and And they achieve what in baseball is the ultimate goal of winning a World Series. You know, game Game five of 2017 is tarnished a little bit, but it's still one of the greatest games I've ever legitimately seen in my life. You know, I've played in some great games, but I would never say that game 163 in 2007 when we played against the Colorado Rockies and, you know, Matt Holliday still hasn't touched home plate. That was one of the greatest games I've ever played in, but it's not one of the greatest games I've ever seen, and there's no way I'd try and compare it to some of these other games I've seen or played in. But, to Uh, There was a great quote uh, put out by a guy named uh, Levi Weaver, who's a, a writer for The Athletic. Uh, And it was, it couldn't have been more pure. And I know Astro fans and maybe some of us will appreciate it here on this podcast is that watching Shohei Otani, who's obviously solidified himself as a unicorn, I think we can get that out of the way. Um, I know that you have, I mean, he basically appeals to you and me, you being a pitcher, (laughs) me being a position player. This guy is the unicorn that baseball has been looking forward to. And I love the fact that he's on this stage doing what he's doing because he was the easiest mvp choice of the wbc because of the numbers he put up throwing the hardest pitch and hitting the hardest hit what i mean what in the hell this guy is amazing but the fact that he struck out the second greatest player in the sport to finish off that wbc there's something to be said for that but this guy quote this quote is why is everyone freaking out the angels have been beating themselves for years now I thought that that was
2: spectacular. I, uh, I, I mean that that's so it's so true. I mean, there, there's nothing to follow up with that. And and I and I do say the Angels continue here on the left coast. They need to get some pitching. They need to do some things um, to be productive. But they, uh, amen. Yeah, f- facing facing each other is, uh, you know, yes, it's the greatest matchup. But uh, they they again they they made that more than it had to be. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great at bat and the way it ended, I mean, a perfect pitch and a great hitter. I mean, that you couldn't ask for more. I also heard this, this wasn't a meme or a tweet, but basically Babe Ruth, right? Was this on the broadcast last night? Babe Ruth was a pitcher and a hitter for two full seasons and Shohei's already done it for three. And I do think if we're really looking at the MVP, which we know it's a little bit more of a popularity contest and a winning thing, uh, in terms Mm. of, are you on a winning team? As long as Shohei Otani is in the big leagues and healthy and, you know, throws up 10 or 12 wins and he's throwing 100 miles an hour and he comes into close games and he hits 40 home runs, he should just be the MVP. They should just preach. I mean, when he yeah. when he retires, we've talked about it, but when he retires, it should just be called the, the Shohei Otani trophy because, I mean, the unicorn, there aren't enough superlatives, as they say, to <laughs> right. put him in a category Uh, because of what he's doing at such a high level. I mean, here's a guy who can come in, hit a home run, and then there he is striking out Mike Trout to... (laughs) To win a tournament. And it doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. It is. But I also go back to what you said about I think the storylines in the world baseball classic, and this is why it's not the greatest tournament or the greatest game ever played, is it's a little bit of an all-star thing. It's at you know the beginning of spring training. It's not after 162 games. But the stories come out like the Czech electrician, right? The guy from the Czech Republic yeah. that struck out Otani. Like those are the stories that come out where you're like, all right, like baseball is now becoming a more uh, worldwide game like basketball did. And certainly we're trying that with the NFL by taking games to Europe. But just watching things like that, to me, that's what makes the World Baseball Classic, um, I don't know, more enjoyable and fun to watch. This is not... You know, this is not Kurt Schilling with the bloody sock or Jeff Blum hitting a home run to win the game in extra innings. I mean, this isn't this isn't any of that, but it's fun and it's exciting and it brought more to the table, yes. which is what we said on this podcast. Brought more to the table for spring training, more enjoyment, more energy, and certainly more eyeballs.
1: Okay. So I agree. And and anytime you get, get more attention on that, it's it's a good thing. But here here's the here's what the the sad reality of this WBC for me, watching this as, as a broadcaster, as a media member, as a podcaster, as as a fan, is we just mentioned that you have the unicorn in Shohei Otani, who's arguably the greatest player in the game right now because he goes both ways at such an elite level. Mike Trout, who's been putting up MVP numbers every single year, hall of future hall of famer with the numbers he's putting up. This WBC and I think this is probably why they're trying to pump this as the greatest games ever, the greatest matchup ever, whatever you want to call it, is because Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, this might be the highest leverage situation in baseball that they will ever ever find themselves in. I think Shohei Ohtani is going to be with another team and is going to play in a World Series eventually. I don't know if I can say that about Mike Trout. And that kind of goes back to your point about the Angels need to put supporting players around these two to get them to the playoffs and actually play in what is considered to be the greatest, you know, the the greatest postseason of of baseball is playing in a major league season and then going to a World Series. We may never see a Mike Trout in that situation. And that's kind of what stood out to me. I'm like, they are pumping this as if Mike Trout is never going to see the World Series. That's how it felt to me. Did it seem that way to you? And is that as shocking to you as it is to me to know that for a fact?
2: Yeah, I really like that you picked up on that subtlety because I think they, they you know the initial thought was that because they're teammates, they won't do this again, right? They won't ever have this mm-hmm. opportunity. But I, I think you're right. I think they were definitely saying, like, hey, you yeah. know, I mean, because if they do go free agency, like maybe we get to see this again. I I here's this is the thing that jumped out to me is what you what we've talked about often is eyeballs, analytics, and then baseball people versus business people. And from a baseball business person standpoint, I don't think they realize the urgency around getting these guys into the situation that they need to be. And I never thought major league baseball was going to be like the NBA, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Kevin Durant's now on the Suns. He was with the warriors and the nets and like, I mean, and LeBron, yeah. he, you know, I'm, where am I going to win a championship? And then he goes there and then they get rid of four guys and bring four guys in and they win a championship. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in a World Series and realize that these are two of the best baseball players, not just of this era, but, you know, probably of all time, then you need to get those pitchers now. You need to leverage, like, you know, pull a Steve Cohen uh, and and leverage the fact that you have him on the team because what's going to happen, to your point, and this is already what you're thinking from a business standpoint, is – in the next few years, Shohei Ohtani, when he's a free agent, is going to go to another team and he'll be able to pick whatever team that is Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, jump to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And they'll pay him an exorbitant amount. I mean, can you imagine Aaron Judge and Shohei on the same team? Like all of a oh, sudden, you're God. like, hey, and you know, they'll, you know, Garrett Cole's there, they'll pay for some more pitching. And all of a sudden, they also have a $300 million payroll or more, you know, $600 million payroll, but they don't care because they're going to win two or three World Series. And the Angels yes. can just say, gosh, all this time we had these two great players. And I think this is the other thing about baseball we saw with Barry Bonds. It's nice to have great players, but you can intentionally walk them 100 times. So what do you have to protect him? You have Jeff Kent, who mm-hmm. is in the line in line for Hall of Fame because he knew he was going to get some pitches. So you have to go back and look at the history, and you have to understand from a baseball perspective that if you have these two players and you believe that they – Are two of the best players right now. You have to surround them with all the parts, and I would pull, you know, a LeBron. You know, if I were the two Mm -hmm. of them, I would say, look, I need this, this, and this, and we need to make uh, make a run for it. They need to make a run in the next three years, and I don't know if the Angels. I mean, Artie Moreno had the team on the market for a while, and then he pulled them off. I don't know what he was gauging, but I do think it's maybe more of a subtle version of tanking, but he was probably trying to fire sale a little bit with, with keeping the payroll under a certain threshold. And anyway, that's that's probably getting too deep. But I, I yeah, I agree with you. They were selling it like that was the only time the matchup could have, uh, the only time they would have a matchup like that. But I, I think there's also that, hey, we might see this somewhere else. And maybe the fact that we saw it in the World Baseball Classic and we want to see it again is, you know, is I guess all dependent on what the Angels management does.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's gotta be frustrating as hell for Mike Trout to be in that moment, have the opportunity. He did well in the WBC and some clutch moments too. So I think it was kind of fun to see a player as good as him performing in that moment and on that stage. But I would if I like you said, I if I'm Mike Trout, I'm freaking frustrated, man. I'm like, dude, this was fun. I want this. I want more of this. How do I get this instead of having to do it every four years? and you've got to be able to support this guy. I know his pay his paycheck, you know, garners, you know, a third of your payroll or whatever it is, but at the same time, these windows of winning are not very big. And if you do have those those guys who are the best, obviously they're going to put butts in the seats, but if you can't put them in a winning situation and bring a title to your franchise using them, then what's the point of doing it? Or what's the point of having that franchise if you can't go out there and monetarily take a chance? Because winning pays a lot of bills. I'm, I'm finding that out here in Houston that, you know, winning can up ticket prices, it can up merch value, it can up... Uh, a lot of things, and you're going to bring a lot more fans and attention to your team when you are winning instead of going, well, you've got the two greatest players, but you know what? You're going to play 500 baseball every year. I don't know if that's appealing to a lot of Angels fans who might be just as frustrated not being able to buy playoff tickets to watch a Shohei Otani and Mike Trout duke it out with somebody else. And oh, by the way, Anthony Rendon is a pretty damn good ball player, just hasn't been healthy.
2: Yep. I totally agree. And and here's the thing is like, I, I'm not an entrepreneur type guy, but if you're starting a business, do you want to cut corners from the beginning? Or do you want to take a risk? Like, let's get some more money from the venture capitalists and take a risk and push it a little bit because you'll get more quality players and maybe more quality output. There are no guarantees in winning ever. But look what the Padres are doing. I think they're an excellent model for what the Angels could at least attempt to do. They just keep shoving it in there. And most people would say that's kind of a mid-market team. You know, they're not a high payroll, high team, or they now have a high payroll, but they're not... Typically a high market, high dollar team, but they obviously mm-hmm. are finding the money somewhere to just kind of go for it. And yeah, I mean they don't have the Scherzer or the Verlander or the Cole, but you know, getting you Darvish, who we saw pitch, and he's always pretty legitimate. Getting three or four quality starters, Snell. I, I mean, you can have some guys in there that are maybe just you know kind of number one starters, but not you know aces necessarily. And get three or four of those guys with. A bunch of really good players like Soto and Machado and you know uh, Tatis, Bogarts. they're going for it. And so yeah. you can compare that team. You're right, Bogarts is they're signing this year. So Trout and Otani are a great place to start. Rendon is a way above average player when healthy. They've got mm-hmm. some young guys coming up. Let's solidify the pitching staff. I mean, we sound like Angel homers, but I th- I think at some point, people would love to your point to see those guys in the playoffs and. Trout and Otani should want to replicate the feeling that they had from this tournament. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. And you kind of hit on entrepreneurship and that brings up the next subject that I want to talk about is the Savannah bananas. And I don't know how much you know about them. Our our producer, Mark Ramos brought this up because I had the opportunity to go watch these guys. Now the impetus of getting tickets to go watch the bananas was from my daughter's and this kind of gives you the idea of entrepreneurship, social media marketing and and how do you how do you how do you sell the game of baseball in maybe a different way. And as a as a baseball traditionalist or a purist, you may be looking at the bananas going what the hell's going on because they're TikTok famous. their their stories and their reels in, in the the antics, the dances, the music. But that being said, if you are a traditionalist or a purist, go because it's the most entertaining thing I've seen on a baseball field in a very, very long time that didn't have to do with the intensity of playing great baseball. There was mediocre baseball. They had a (laughs) clock up there that started at two hours and started to tick backwards, but every inning had something going on. There was a song. There was a walk-up song where the guy was doing a dance. There was a catcher doing a backflip and a throw to second base. There there was a pitcher throwing a flaming baseball. There was an umpire twerking after a called strike 3. There was a first base coach that was dancing literally to every song that was coming on. There was a second baseman who was eating sushi in the middle of the inning. I mean, it was no holds barred as far as entertainment and fun and joy. And the one thing that stood out to me in watching this ball game was the fact that every song that came on every dance that was done and every opportunity there was for fan engagement, I heard youthful voices. I heard nothing but kids. They knew every song. They knew every TikTok dance. They knew everything and they were at the game. So I appreciated it. I found it highly entertaining. I encourage you to go if the expectation is to be entertained, not necessarily watch good baseball, but I have to admit, I enjoyed what was happening, and those two hours went by in a hurry.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think with the right mindset. I don't know much about the Savannah Bananas. What I heard you describing is the Harlem Globetrotters. Right now, I mean, that's exactly yes. what I heard you describe. Yes. So you don't you know go to the it. Harlem. That's exactly. You don't it. go to the Globetrotters versus the Generals, the Washington Generals, to see a basketball game. You go there to be entertained, and I think that yep. sounds like they hit the nail on the head. And it's funny. Because I saw the GM interviewed maybe a couple years ago and I was like, who are the Savannah Bananas? And they actually have some good baseball players or retired baseball players, right? Like mm-hmm. guys yeah. that were up and coming or they can they have the skill set, but they've turned it into a show and an, and an entertaining show. Uh, Form of baseball, I guess, but uh, I don't know if he used the Globe Trotters as the model. But it sounds like that's you know that's what you're in for. Are they? Here's a question for you: Are they traveling the country now, or are they only playing in Savannah? Because well, I know I that you start- saw them in Texas.
1: Yeah, it started out just in Savannah, obviously for logistical and cost. Reasons, But I think their popularity has grown so much that they kind of threw it out there and said, you know, what if we went to a, a couple of minor league stadiums around the country or around that south southern area of Savannah? And they started to branch out a little bit, realized the popularity was growing. And from what I've heard, they are doing very good and raking in some of these uh, gates by traveling around. And I know that when they first came to Sugar Land, they sold out in something like an hour something crazy fast. They added another date, sold that one out, added a third date, and sold that one out. So they did three dates here in houston at the sugarland triple a stadium for the astros and sold out all three dates so i think that they're kind of branching out a little bit i don't know how far away they get away from savannah but yeah they're starting to branch out a little bit but a majority of their games are played in savannah
2: i think they uh, they're obviously on to something right most things are not status Mm -hmm. quo they kind of evolve as they go and it certainly sounds like they're uh they're creating a following and i think you know with the globe trotter mentality i'm glad i i think the other thing that was cool about that is that your daughters were the impetus to go um mm-hmm. you know my kids are somewhat into sports but it's hard to tell um you know how much into sports they are but you know your daughters mm-hmm. grew up around baseball their whole lives and yes it's not maybe the purest baseball but uh but getting to go to a, a night out <laughs> with the family and having it be entertaining is pretty much all you can ask for um, so anyway, you mentioned yep. the tournament before the tournament yeah, that dude, is going on, on right it. now, NCAA, yeah. NCAA and, uh, mm-hmm. I actually am very fortunate right now. I don't know what your bracket looks like. I don't even know if you filled one out, but my, I, well, uh,
1: two one seeds killed me, but you know what? Woo,
2: pig oh, suey. there
1: Upset you go. In pig Kansas. Soon.
2: Yeah. But you had Kansas going. (laughs) Yes. I had Kansas beating Arkansas. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but see, those are the funny things is that yes, those seeds, everybody loses those games, right? So if you're in a bracket and you know this, like everybody lost everybody lost Arizona, right? Nobody had Princeton beating Arizona.
1: Purdue. What the? And
2: Purdue. But everybody loses those games. I am fortunate in that I have Alabama going all the way. I have Houston. And I have uh, Michigan State's the one that kind of wrecked that, but I never had Marquette or Arizona going that far anyway. So it was Houston. uh, Who's my other team? UCLA, Houston, UCLA, and um, uh, Alabama. So, and Alabama has no, I mean, of course they'll probably lose tomorrow or whenever they play, (laughs) but they have no, they have no, no seed higher than a four or five left up in that region. Mm. So that's kind of a, an interesting path. But I guess my point is the, the good fortune is that yes, the two, one seeds are out two two seeds are out Marquette and Arizona, but everybody was losing those games. So who do you have like continuing? Like if you had Duke winning at all, or if you had Kansas winning at all, Aww. then you're in big trouble. Yeah, so those are the people wrong. that are in trouble. <laughs>
1: I, I don't know about you, but I was never on the Duke train. I'm not a Duke fan. I, I have no problem admitting that, but I wasn't sure no, I mean, for them. No, I don't but like I, Duke either. Yeah, and I was watching them towards the end of the season. I'm just going, man, they're not really pounding on anybody or beating any of these substantial teams where I was like, oh, they're going to run the table in the tournament. I just think yeah. they got on a run, were feeling good, had the momentum, and then you got squashed, which I, I kind of saw coming. I didn't have them going deep in my tournament. I had Purdue going obviously deeper than they did, losing to a mm-hmm. 16 seed which was pretty amazing, but I love the fact that you're watching these teams game plan. We talk about it every single year on this podcast about how great, and this kind of goes against the WBC mentality of having superstars, is that if you have good coaching, good team chemistry, and a couple of key players, you're going to go far in this tournament, or you could shock a lot of people. And I'm seeing that with Coach Musselman in, in Arkansas. Obviously, I've got a huge bias because I know the guy and my daughter goes there, so I've been watching them a little more intently. But What I'm trying to set up is Alabama is nasty. These SEC teams play a very good defense. And I see this with UH UH and Kelvin Sampson. The defenses for these teams are tenacious and crazy um but Alabama is sneaky they've got that freshman who cannot miss a shot he he is a freak athlete uh plays both ends of the court can put it up there Tennessee's another team that I really like and an SEC team where I'm just like oh my gosh these guys are athletes play great defense make the shots when they need to but uh the tournament has been it's been great to watch and I've, I think UCLA UCLA started to kind of—I don't know if I have—I think I have UCLA probably being the team to beat the rest of the way, to be honest with you. I don't know if you feel the same way or if that's kind of my Pac-12 bias coming out a little bit. But uh, the way they play basketball and having some of the the seniority and experience they have kind of turns me on a little bit.
2: Yeah. No, I like UCLA. I like Alabama. I like what you said. Here's the thing, and I think this has been my theme— throughout the little that we watch college basketball I kind of get into it maybe three weeks before the tournament gets going but I told you Baylor the year they won it and Baylor obviously got knocked out which is you know probably great for Houston but you look at Houston Baylor Tennessee San Diego State uh, and Alabama and these are grown men I mean, this is what we said before. They all, <laughs> they all remind. Same way.
1: They've, got, they've That's got right. Management. No,
2: that's what I said. Houston, Baylor, yeah. Tennessee, Ooh. San Diego State, and yeah. we and we weren't watching them throughout the year. They're kind of four or five seeds. San Diego State and Tennessee, and somebody said they just couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat, and then they started scoring. <laughs> so their defense has always been shut down. But they, they, they don't all remind me of UNLV. Don't get me wrong. I kind of say that every oh, time. Man. But the bottom line is those guys play tenacious D they're 22 23 years old they're filled out and that was kind of I think that counteracts or it kind of supports your point about Duke which is Duke had their best player was a freshman they're kind of the still the mm-hmm. one and done they have the most talent but when you're going up like against shed and shed and sasser at Houston sasser, yeah those guys are those guys are those are big human beings that know what they're doing With Kelvin Sampson, you know, kind of steering the ship. So Houston's been solid. Tennessee, I I just think Bruce Bruce Pearl, unfortunately, I mean, he's not as big as Rick Majerus, but Bruce Pearl looks like he's about to explode all the time. Like he might, (laughs) he might have a heart attack on the sideline. But those guys play intense defense. San Diego State, I got to watch a little bit in this tournament, and their coach said. Nobody plays defense like we do. If we can just make a couple of buckets, and uh, you know that was a Steve Fisher's program who had come from Michigan, and this guy was his Mm -hmm. number one assistant. And every year, they're kind of the same, right? 28 and seven, and they get in the tournament. But this year just seems different. So I think, to your point, the tournament's been great. The teams that are going to be the most tenacious on defense um, that can hit shots, obviously, right? You got to score the basketball. Um, Yeah. Those guys are going to win. Those are the surprises, uh, yeah yeah so it'll be interesting I like UCLA I think I still have Alabama going all the way but Houston Alabama U- UCLA I wouldn't be surprised with any of those three moving in Michigan no. State I mean they're certainly the underdog you want to bet against Tom Izzo but I think they're you know they're probably just a little short on talent um, and maybe um you know some seniority I- I'm not quite sure there yeah no I think Tom, Tom Izzo
1: in the tournament I mean he, that, wow he's <laughs> yeah. got some, like ma- he's like a magician out there with what he's
2: able to do with some of these guys crazy. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and this is, somebody brought this point up, somebody much smarter than I, but they, uh, it's one thing to prep, like all week they're prepping, um, mm-hmm. for the for the game, so you have five, six days to watch film and do it. But then, when you win a game and you're into the next game, you have one day to prep. That's when you get a really good handle on who the good coaches are. And I think yeah, to your point, dude. Izzo's in there. It's like, give me one day, and all right, and then a half. Right, we're going to make halftime adjustments, and then all of a sudden it happens. So I mean, it's their Damn. it's their profession, right? They're good. It is. So here's here's a one last little side note about the tournament. That's funny. I listened to Rick Pitino after he got, you know, blackballed, and Iona hired him. This was a two-year ago uh, interview, and he's like, I- "I'm gonna, I'm gonna live out my days in Iona." Look, I realize I was in the fast track with, you know, Kentucky, and then I went to Louisville, and da da da, or Louisville, as you say. Louisville. Um, that always reminds me. Remember Scott Service, the pitcher, not the catcher. Do you remember Scott mm-hmm. Service? He yeah. was crazy guy with the Reds. He always said, hey, how do you pronounce capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? And I was like, I don't know. I, I You know this one, don't you? I always said it's no. Louisville. And he goes, oh, I pronounce it Frankfurt. And then he would move on.
1: Oh, gee. got so, him.
2: Yeah. Got him. That was his thing. He <laughs> he might ask everybody that first day of spring training, like, "Hey, buddy, every how you pronounced 'cat'?" Yeah, I know. But he would ask. I mean, a new guy every year. I'm like, I know. Mm-hmm. I finally by year two, I figured it out. I, oh, it's not Louisville or <laughs> Louisville. Anyway, Rick Petino was like, "I'm just going to live out my days that I own. I love it. This is a great place. These kids." And yesterday, he took the St. John's job. So, I just, <laughs> I just, I just Shocking. don't. I know, but I just, I know it's business. I realize it's an opportunity, but those words have to ring hollow at some point, don't they? So I, I don't mean oh, to end on a downer, believe anything but. Do you that comes out
1: of Patino's face? No. Other no, than how to no. play the
2: game? No. Yeah, exactly. So he's a good coach yeah. and that's probably what he says. You know, yeah. kids, it's not my moral compass. It's not my, you know. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I yes, do. Ugh. And I can't play Jeez. for guys like that. We're adults now, right? Tell your kids that and see how it goes. Well, that's what you wonder if some of
1: these kids in this generation now that have witnessed what he's done and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to take my kids somewhere else. Exactly. Um, I got a question for you about the tournament because it, it, the March Madness always succeeds. It's amazing. The teams play well, coaches coach well. Uh, it creates, uh, you know, like we already talked about, it's not country pride sometimes. And I'm finding this out, it's, uh, you know, institutional pride. But that being said, I think that college basketball refereeing. Is awful. I hate it. (laughs) I think you're going to say awesome. (laughs) They suck. I I don't understand what games these guys are watching at times. I'm tired of seeing these games where you've got 25 free throws at the half and nine for the other team. I hate. They don't get an out of bounds call right without going to the monitor. I don't. What do we do? I don't know. That that's the only pet peeve I have on March Madness is the refereeing is terrible.
2: Huh. I mean, it's a great take. I, my thought is typically we say this about umpires and referees, unless you get into the Joe West of the world or the angel uh, Hernandez of the world, but the, uh, the, you know, they don't have it out for one team. There is a Homer mm-hmm. aspect, you know, sometimes you can see with the crowd and the, the momentum and maybe my frustration and just to, I do remember watching last week, my frustration is that it seems not that it's weighted one way or the other, but the, and you know this too with a strike zone and uh you know certain umpires have specific strike zones is if it starts to be kind of a ticky-tack game where there are a lot of fouls called, they don't change yeah. it or adjust it. It just stays ticky-tack. And I thought there were there was a specific game, and now I can't remember what it was. I mean, one of the bigger teams got knocked out, but it was like foul every time down, and it was for both teams. I'm like, just mm-hmm. let those guys play. Maybe it was Arkansas. It was Arkansas-Kansas, I think, where they knew Arkansas wanted to muddy the waters with Kansas. They're going to play rough. They're going to grab. They're going to push yes. just to kind of make the game like that. But then, when it became that way, and this was too early in the game too, (laughs) but it was, you know, 10 minutes into the first half, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what this game is going to be. And I was frustrated by that as well. And I don't know if it was me so frustrated with the specific referee saying, hey, you know, this guy, you guys can't keep calling that because we both know like once the umpire establishes the strike zone, now you want it to be consistent. Mm -hmm. But I felt like looking at when. Two minutes into the second half when they're like four fouls, three fouls, three fouls, three fouls, four fouls, three fouls, three, and you're like, great. So that's this game's going to end at the free throw line, and one of the big guys is going to get fouled out, and that's essentially how that game ended. And that is frustrating, but I don't know if I can put that specifically on – I think – I sometimes think – the game is a little bit bigger than the refereeing, meaning it was the tone that the game took. It's what they expected. And so it just, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, again, mm-hmm. that probably supports your point more than contradicts no, it. you but did a great yeah, job. I, Yeah, I don't know if it's a personal, (laughs) I don't know if it's a personal referee, right? I don't know if it's one guy that has it out for a team. I've I've said this before, the English Premier League.
1: They do. I've just noticed it across all the games I've been watching. I'm like, good Lord, these refs are, they're blowing it, man. They're not letting the guys play.
2: Yeah. And I think that's it. We want the guys to play. So we're the old school Mm -hmm. mentality. I I said this before the English premier league, they look at the referees. They have them scheduled out like a year in advance. And they're like, if your uncle grew up in Manchester, you're never refereeing a Manchester city or Manchester United game. Like they have this, you know, there's, they just don't want any appearance of impropriety. I I certainly know that we don't do that with, our our referees here in college basketball and it's kind of like hey was that guy an sec ref or is he a pac 10 or pac 12 exactly. ref and i do think there's a tone to it and a mood and 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 when they keep talking about the big 10 now there's a different style of basketball and that is the yes. other. you know when you have right so when you have disparate like styles that
1: style yeah that's a good that's, point
2: yeah i think that's probably the biggest challenge and and you know i I hadn't been paying attention to it a lot, but I I do think it's certainly a valid point. It'd be nice to clean that up. And again, we're just a notch down from professional, right? You see, at mm-hmm. the English Premier League, the best referees in the world at the Major League Baseball, you know, those are the best of the the best that they have there, and they get paid full time. You know, the NFL, same thing. When you look at college, it's either volunteers or guys that you know have been doing it for twenty years, but they do high school basketball as well. I don't know. There's there's probably some things they could do to clean it up. It is a big business, and you know, again, just like we said before about for me for Rick Pitino, the the more student athlete advertising you get is like, all right, yeah, these guys are student athletes, <laughs> so yep. th- it's a big business, and they could probably pay the referees a little bit more if if mm-hmm. they want the games to have you know meaning like they do. Yep.
1: Um, I'm surprised you didn't bring up that. Uh, was it the uh, TCU game where the guy shot the half court shot and they showed the response from all the betters in that one sport book uh, lose their shit?
2: Oh. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Oh. It's funny because I won the TCU game, which is funny. Oh, you mean the Virginia TCU one where the guy flung yeah, No, 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 the no. That The
1: guy drained t- the three and it went, for, you know, he covered the spread and everybody yeah. lost?
2: Oh, I won that game. That's funny. Was that TCU yeah. Gonzaga?
1: It might have been, the. I think it was the Gonzaga game.
2: Yeah, I had, it's so funny because I was at a beer tasting, shocker. I was at a beer uh, tasting, drink. hey. <laughs> I was at a beer tasting party down the street and we were watching a game and I had I had TCU plus three and a half because uh, against Gonzaga. And I think the game ended 84, 81, but I never watched the highlights and never saw the game at all. And I was uh, like, hey, I won that game. TCU plus three and a half, I won. So he won, we won the bet on a like a last second shot. Yeah, most people had it at four and a half, and the dude oh. made a half
1: court shot to get with you know to kill that, and yeah, they showed to the sports book, and everybody's like, "Son of a
2: bitch!" Oh, oh yeah, you know, they're
1: all losing their minds on that last second oh, shot yeah. because they were all. It just
2: depends on what side you're on. Side. I would have been jumping yeah. up and down, I guess. So there you go. I had TCU <laughs> yep. at th- three and a half, TCU plus three and a half or four. Yeah. Well, you so, know what you're uh, doing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I really know what I'm doing. Yeah, you guys take betting advice from me. I did win three on Saturday um yeah so anyway yep that was, we're all winning
1: we're all winning in the bleachers <laughs> because we have opinions and we we had some hot takes this was a good one uh yeah. i appreciate the effort today tuttle it's been good and uh just like the, the end of every podcast that we do we appreciate the efforts of our military both home and abroad and those who have served in the past we greatly appreciate you uh first responders police personnel fire personnel uh, doctors, EMTs, nurses, everybody on the front line uh, competing against a pandemic or competing against injury to keep us safe and keep us out of harm's way. we appreciate you and of course all of the uh, teachers out there winding down their their season getting into the uh, summer. I'm sure you're looking forward yep. to it. a lot of proms and graduations coming up in the next couple of months. so stay strong, finish strong, we appreciate you and of course Tuttle has a has a little comment for us to close this thing out
2: yeah so college decision is big more so than summer so college decision coming soon um, and then one thing I wanted to mention earlier Sergio Romo hasn't been himself probably he's getting old three or four years uh, kind of just hanging on but he signed a one day contract with the Giants so he could retire and he was a huge part of their World Series championships yeah. 8, 10 and 12 or was it 10, 12 and 14 see I can't remember 10, 12, 14 something like that whatever Bruce Bochy kept him around he did a great job so cheer you know Tip of the cap, tip of my Houston Astros cap to Sergio Roma, who gets to retire as a giant. And as I always say, if you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. We're coming up on the end of colorectal cancer screening month or awareness month, but uh, you can do it all year round, I promise. Um, That's all I have, Blummer.
1: Hey, get after it and believe it.
2: Believe it. It's amazing how good it can or how well it can go with... uh, topics I know right